podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Welcome back, party people. Some of our favorite emails are when you tell us what you do and also don't like about the show, when you drop us a voicemail. We read and listen to all this stuff, and we'd love to know what you want to hear more of. And one of the constants we hear is that you'd like to hear more follow-up stories, and we love doing those too. In fact, it's one of the great privileges of doing this pod is watching the listeners progress in their entrepreneurial career. So today, I'm going to be catching up with someone I spoke with just over a year ago in one of my favorite episodes of 2019 called, You're Not Working With Clients Anymore, You're Working With Customers. His name is Tommy Joyner, and in that previous show, we heard about the genesis of a productized copywriting service that Tommy set up with his business partner. And now what really struck me in this interview, you know we love productized services around here. Now, just as a refresher, a productized service is selling a service as if it were a product. And what's so cool about them is that you can conceptualize and maybe even launch one in a week. But as with everything in life, they can be a double-edged sword. And Tommy addressed the potential downside of the productized service model with a relatively long-sighted view. They decided to outsource both the copywriting and administration of that business from day one. And I'm going to quote from that episode because they wanted to, quote, put something in place that would allow us to have an asset that someone might buy in the future because you can't sell yourself and related, you can't sell your expertise to anyone else, at least at scale. So fast forward a year, and we're going to hear about why Tommy did in fact make the decision to not only sell contentpros.io, but also to part ways with his partner. We were probably the best fit possible to go from zero to one. And to take it from there together was just, it felt a little bit more painful because there were just various philosophies and things that I think we saw differently. Tommy's also going to share insights into some things he might have done in a different way now that he's been through an exit for the first time and seen how that process works. I had to basically just take a loss there, and that sucked, but at the same time, it was with the price that we were still going to get for the business, even having to take those concessions, and for the emotional freedom that it was going to clear up in my life, it was, it was worth it. And it's amazing how fast this stuff can all happen. It can happen for you. It happened for Tommy. So listen up. Let's get into it. I started this conversation by asking Tommy to give us a bit of a catch up, sort of what happened after he was on the show this time last year. Here I am, Tommy Joyner in January of 2019. I have recently moved on from Chiang Mai and in living in Bali where I proceed to live for the next few months. I've gone to a couple really awesome business events in Asia and met some amazing people and the ideas as to what comes next in my life are really floating around. Business is good, it's stable, but things are a little mundane and I'm also realizing that 
I am sitting on top of a really cool asset that people are interested in. And the more that I talk to business brokers and friends with venture funds, et cetera, the more I realize the value of uh, what I've created. And what were the revenue figures about the time we spoke last January? So the revenue figures were relatively consistent around like 35K gross per month. Now, you run into business doing 35K, you know, you're maintaining, you're going to business conferences and stuff. You mentioned that it started to get mundane. What does that mean? There's a lot of factors here, life and business-wise, that play into it. I mean, I had been doing the same thing for a while. I had been running a semblance of content pros for about five years or so. So by the time I was ready to exit the business, I had kind of I had navigated the entire entrepreneurial journey and it felt like I was already at the climax and like was just ready for something else. It felt like I had achieved the goal of building the asset to the level that I wanted to. And I guess the other thing is I didn't have the motivation to grow it. Like originally when I started that business, I was like, all right, I want to turn this into a seven figure business or even more. I want to get to 100K per month. And then I just, I was looking at at what that was going to take and I didn't want to take it there, but I was very happy with where it was at. And I actually had no idea how much it was worth. So that was a pleasant surprise as well. It's certainly something that I felt. I felt I kind of knew how to get a business to $10 million, which is we wanted to go from that seven to eight. And I was just like, man, I, I don't know if I can climb that wall or whatever. It just felt exhausting to even consider like another five-year run with the same sort of stuff. I see like the five-year mark, there's a lot of teetering. And then like the seven and eight-year mark is when things really start to take off. And I don't know why I see that or if even it's true. Did you consider that opposite side of the token at all? I definitely did. There were some other dynamics at play as well in terms of like personnel and the relationship with my business partner that were just making things sort of challenging. So like that's another dynamic that, you know, I'm happy to just say because that's a reality of business and if you're not like fully on point with everything, then it's even harder to get to that climb. So when I was evaluating that climb, there were other things that I was taking into account that made it even made it seem even more challenging. Had I had the exact same operation set up and was running it myself, I don't know that I would have sold the business, but there were some other things that I was ready to move on from. Do you have any advice about business partnerships after having been in one for five years? I mean, me and Ian experience this all the time. We're sometimes on the same page. We're sometimes not. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm super grateful for my last business partner and we had some awesome times together and we like really accomplished a lot. I actually credit him with like me actually fully making the decision to commit to being an entrepreneur and like really helping me turn the page there. I think like the number one recommendation that I have and what I'm experiencing now with some of the new projects that I'm working on is just, I mean, I know myself a lot better. I know myself intuitively and I also have assessed myself with like a million different personality tests. So I also am very aware of who I engage with and the things that they can do versus the things that, that I can do. So finding like complementary skill sets is really, really important to me now. And so you felt it, you know, early last year that maybe you guys wouldn't be the best fit for that 
next phase of the journey? We were probably the best fit possible to go from zero to one. And to take it from there together was just, it felt a little bit more painful because there were just various philosophies and things that I think we saw differently. You mentioned that you didn't know how much this thing was worth. Well, why not? And how'd you find out? (laughs) Okay. So one of the other reasons I decided to sell the business is because that was like, that was a goal of mine. And I was intrigued by the idea of literally just selling the business just so that I could go through the process because that was so unknown and murky to me that I really had no idea like what to expect. I learned a lot. And I guess I never really knew. I never knew how much it was worth because I had never put my place, uh, myself in the seat of of a business broker or a buyer of a significantly sized company to understand the way that companies were valued. If I'm adding my perspective here, which I'm happy to do because I have a microphone, why the hell not? I mean, sometimes it's weird, Tommy, you just like, in your last episode, you're talking about, you know, sleeping on couches and stuff. Sometimes it's weird to see that, like the way you were making a living, this kind of guy from the fringes doing stuff on the internet that like other people might consider that a real business. You know what I mean? Part of it's like, wait, this is a thing now? (laughs) You know what I mean? Is there any of that element to it? Like, I don't know. Do you even think of yourself as like part of the business community, broadly speaking, that people outside of maybe digital nomads might be interested in what you're doing? I didn't. And like, sometimes I still have trouble with that because even when I meet other entrepreneurs that are outside of the DC or some of the other groups that I belong to, they seem a little bit more corporate. That's a huge part of it is like, I, you know, I figured out how to make like a dollar on Elance when I started this thing. And now someone's actually interested in buying it and they're willing to pay that much money for it. Like what's going on here? I think for sure, like some imposter syndrome kicked in. And just some straight up disbelief because I, I had just never navigated that before. You, know, you mentioned that like Q1, you're hanging out in Bali, going to conferences and stuff. Do you remember the date or the time frame that the first domino dropped in terms of getting you thinking about maybe selling was an option? I believe in the power of making a decision. I believe that as soon as you make a decision, that's really all it takes and then things fall into place. I went to Bali after Thailand at like the very end of December. I celebrated the new year there. And as I was in Bali, I started to really get, my main goal was to exit content pros. Was it primarily due to like, hey, the partnership I feel like is bankrupt for the next five years? Or was it like, I want to make some money and do something different? Like, What was the emotional drive? The emotional drive was, I was ready to move on from my relationship with and in the business, for sure. The partnership and otherwise. So that it was, a, it was a big emotional drive for me, to be honest. And that's a tough thing to admit to yourself. Did you feel like you would drug your feet on that at all? Or were you pretty quick to realize that? I felt like I could have made that decision and like uh, maybe six or eight months earlier. I think waiting caused me to to feel a little bit stagnant for longer than I had to. All right, everybody, we're back with another Dynamite Deal. If you want to know what this is all about, head on over to dynamitedeals.co. 
The concept is done-for-you services that can improve or grow your business with a click of a button. Today, we are talking about tax optimization. We've got deals for those of you who want to improve your tax structure. Now, taxes, of course, can be a strange and scary affair and business incorporation and all that has to do with that. And that's why today we found a trusted deal partner to help you with your questions. We've also got a deal for non-US citizens and for US citizens who want to improve their tax structure. These dynamite deals come from the online tax man who has been helping entrepreneurs and US expats for the last 10 years with international business structuring and financial advice. The owner, Vincenzo Villamina, is a member of the Dynamite Circle, the DC, and has helped many of our members. And we're excited to share this service with you today. So the two deals, the first is for non-U.S. citizens. You know that the U.S. is one of the biggest tax havens for non-U.S. citizens and non-U.S. residents who are building a new business or looking to improve the tax structure of their current business. And one of the best ways to do this is by opening up an LLC in the great state of Wyoming. Today's dynamite deal for non-U.S. citizens, the online taxman will open up a Wyoming LLC, get you an EIN number, help you open a U.S. bank account, and file your 5472 form. They will get this all set up for you for one simple fee, as well as answer any questions and help with IRS correspondence. So why Wyoming? Well, you don't have to be a U.S. citizen to form an LLC there, and you can live anywhere in the world. And compared to other states in the U.S., there is more privacy because there is less reporting and disclosure requirements. Now, many of you who are not U.S. citizens will know there are incredible benefits to having a setup in the U.S., having that bank account, giving you access to all different kinds of services, financial, technical, and so on. So do check out that deal over at Dynamite Deals. For those of you who are U.S. citizens, the online tax man is offering a discounted consultation with a foreign structuring and tax expert who answer your questions regarding setting up an offshore business, the tax implications, asset protection, and more. During the consultation, you will receive actionable advice and guidance on those matters for your specific situation. And if you need help beyond the call, the taxman will be ready to get you started off in the right direction. So a lot of this can be messy. This dynamite deal is designed to simplify, cut through the noise, and get you started on a more tax-efficient business. So there you have it. If you're interested in today's dynamite deal and want to learn more about today's partner, the online taxman, head on over to dynamitedeals.co. So the new year, Tommy Joyner decides, I'm going to extract myself from the situation. What steps did you take then in January? So, I mean, the business had been basically running itself and it had been at that level of revenue for like a year and was just kind of chilling. So we didn't really have to do anything to maintain that. And this was the first time that I was like, oh, cool. I have like another goal and I'm going to exit myself from the situation and start exploring and see what that looks like. So I started having conversations with different business brokers and a couple friends that had like different funds who had bought and sold businesses before. And by February 15th, we already had it listed. But as I was going through the process of listing it with brokers, that was when I started getting estimates back for like what it was worth. And the numbers as they started coming back to me were intriguing and put me in a place in life where I've never been before. And how did they value your business? So the listeners can do a little math here and figure it out. But basically, 
I learned throughout that process that the type of service-based business that we built and were ultimately listing for sale commands a multiple of anything from really between like three to five X, a little under three if you're unlucky, maybe a little more than five if you have some other good things in place that, you know, really speak to the the stability and the growth potential of the business. The way that that is valued is based really your last 12 months of revenue history are what's most important. And it's basically just a simple calculation of multiplying EBITDA for a 12-month period by whatever the multiple is. And in our case, the broker that we ended up going with listed it at a, at a 3.5 multiple. And our gross margins on that, like 35K, were about 60% by the time we sold the business. And our overall expenses to run the business were like somewhere between 4 and, and 5K. So EBITDA representing something like a net profit. Yes, exactly. And why did they list it over three times EBITDA? What were the factors that were positive about your business that encouraged them to list it at a higher price? One of the coolest things about selling the business was that like, when I went through this process, and I, I really liked our, our broker, he taught me a lot, and we're still in touch today, and like, I always ask him questions, and he like, always responds to me with an essay. But I learned that there are there were, there were a couple things that happened. Like one, my broker taught me a framework of like the four things that a business needs in place. And then there's various things like within these main categories as subcategories that you need to take into account when selling or valuing a business. And they are growth, risk, transferability, and documentation. Content pros didn't have like a ton of lead gen going on by the time that we sold the business, but we did have a base of subscribers. So we had a, a base of like 50 customers and we're pretty well diversified and had a very pretty low churn rate below like 6% by the time we sold the business and the average customer stayed on like nine or 10 months. We also had like our key employees in place. So they actually went along with the sale of the business, but they were handling everything in terms of like the, the day-to-day operations. And then also we had like a really good team of writers. So the assets in terms of like everything that made the business like a pretty buttoned up operation were all in place, which was really important. So those were some of the things that played into the valuation in terms of getting a pretty good valuation. I think some of the things that that I learned that could have gotten us a higher valuation were just if we had more marketing channels and like an actual system of predictable lead generation built into the business, which we had had at some other points, even when we brought on some salespeople at one point. But by the time we sold the business, it was pretty much reliant upon the uh, recurring subscription income that already existed, as well as any referrals that came along. How long from selecting the broker, like what month did you list the business? So this whole process was so fast, and I don't think it goes like this for everyone. But I did learn a thing or two about the appetite for these type of service-based businesses on the market, of which I think is stronger than some other certain types of businesses, online businesses anyway. Why? I think there's a couple reasons, but I think the main reason is because these type of businesses, if they're built out, I think they're less risky. Content Pros just sells words, right? Like we built out a content writing service and that's like relatively evergreen. That's not going anywhere. And the things that we had in place 
were very much like harder to disrupt than maybe some other online businesses where you know like you're heavily reliant on paid media from a couple different sources and if something goes wrong it completely disrupts the revenue stream and it's like a pain in the ass to get it back together or you could imagine maybe like a SaaS product that your your technology has to be more advanced than the other players whereas there could be hundreds of content pros like businesses in the world is that fair to say you had 50 customers well, yeah, I think that's the other thing too, is like these type of businesses, like we were never competing on being like unique. I always tell people that they should think of selling a commodity when they start a service-based business and like not try to be unique and then differentiate themselves with other things. And really that just comes down to execution. It's like, you know, having a successful like insurance or real estate brokerage, like there's a million different people that do that, but there's only a very small percentage that are actually successful and the barrier to entry is is really low, but anyone could still be successful in any of those models. It, it's really just about execution. So to me, it came down to the fact that we were in industry or like had an offering that's like not going anywhere and we did what it took to just build a solid business around the operation. There was like no gimmick. It was just a solid business. Right. And a lot of the things that we take for granted in the internet marketing space, just say content marketing, they're not even really mainstream things yet. You know, it's like even last year I, I had a marketer on who his whole business model was about ranking number one for how to write blogs. And it's like, if you can rank number one for how to write blogs in 2019, then what about how to find a lawyer that's willing to execute a $20,000 contract for me, for example. I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to explain to a lot of people or have the mainstream understand like what you're actually up to or like what these businesses are, are about. But at the same time, that presents a lot of opportunity because, you know, people can make, make a lot of money off of like really, really simple things, which is like the curse of moving further along as an entrepreneur is because like, I feel like you get, different ideas and you you're less inclined to take advantage of the simple ones there's so many other things that you need to do in order to run a successful business that the complexity takes care of itself you don't need to make that process any more difficult for yourself i like that so how long did it take you to sell your business then when when did the deal get closed we listed the business on like the middle of february and within like 10 days, we had a letter of intent to buy the business. We had six offers within the first week from a variety of sources, which was also an interesting process. We ended up taking the first offer because it was, it was really good. We sold the business by April 10th, I believe. It was crazy, crazy fast. Wow. What were the negotiations like? Did anything surprise you? The biggest thing that I learned that this is digging into the weeds a little bit, but anybody that runs a service-based business might understand, is if you run a subscription business and you sell credits in advance that people can then take advantage of later, essentially you have to have like your cost of goods sold or the money saved to fulfill upon those credits or whatever you're selling later in the future. And I kind of knew that, but that ended up like reducing our sales price quite a bit because we sold words on monthly, quarterly, and annual packages. So let's say you buy 5,000 words per month from me, but you 
take the annual option because I give you a discount. So you buy 60,000 words from me up front and it goes into a word bank where you can take advantage of those content credits in the back end of your account online. And then when you actually go ahead and use your credits, it pulls from the account balance. But in order for me to give you those credits, I have to pay a writer. So I have to have, make sure that I have enough money saved up to pay the writer. So if those credits are outstanding, technically I have a liability to the writer if I'm selling you the business or if I'm selling someone else the business because you still have those credits. That didn't count as profit for you, basically, not all of it. Yeah. So, I mean, for while we were running the business, there were some people that didn't use the credits. Most people redeemed, but I mean, like 10 or 15% of people probably never redeemed their credits or just disappeared or just didn't use it. Maybe even 20%. And, you know, people buy a lot of things that they don't use. So that was a big lesson. You had a hard time then convincing the buyer that actually 20% was going to be a part of your profit margin, essentially. Yeah, I couldn't at the end. <laughs> I just had to, <laughs> I had to basically just take a loss there. And that sucked. But at the same time, it, with the price that we were still going to get for the business, even having to take those concessions and for the emotional freedom that it was going to clear up in my life, it was, it was worth it. Did anything else surprise you going through the LOI process, a letter of intent or negotiations or anything like that, or even the, the final handoff? There's a lot of ad backs. I didn't expect that we were going to be able to add as much to the bottom line as we were able to, um, because ultimately when you're running a business, like our finances were pretty organized, but there are a lot of things that we spent that were relatively personal as it relates to travel. Can you describe what an ad back is? Any cost or expense that you run through your business comes out of that before you see that number. So an ad back would be any of those costs or expenses that you may have paid for through the business, but aren't necessarily important or essential for the operations of the business to continue moving forward. But it sounds like you might have also benefited from not being so aggressive on your front end marketing as well, because you know, a lot of us as business owners, we're investing a lot in lead generation. And if you're going to then turn around and sell a business, you could say, well, look, this business runs perfectly fine without the $5,000 a month I'm spending on lead gen. Yeah. So my thought on that is we had a recurring customer base with low churn. So the risk of that disappearing overnight was minimal, especially since we were diversified amongst like a large group of customers. So those subscriptions weren't going anywhere. And that was like the stability that someone else bought into with our business. But yeah, if you have lead gen or marketing channels, that adds value to the business as well, though. So like, I guess the, the trade off there would be like, you could probably command a higher multiple if like we had the customer base, plus we were spending two or $3,000 per month on marketing that would have been taken into account when valuing the business or at least now knowing what i know now i could make a solid argument for you know even though we're spending five thousand dollars per month on marketing or lead gen this is an added value even more so because we're distributed amongst these like four different marketing channels or something your business had an incredible amount of interest so fast can you relate to those buyers and give us a sense for why they were excited at the opportunity to purchase your business? 
Yeah, I won't go into specific details in terms of who purchased our business, but the type of buyers that we got were interesting. They came from like a variety of places that were like, you know, some people had like a more corporate background. Some people were more like mom and pop style. And then some people were basically like funded startups trying to buy us and roll us up into like a bigger conglomerate of a content writing service. I think the people that we were the worst fit for, you know, there was like a hedge fund that we talked to or something. And I just like couldn't see how they were going to like buy this business and like put anyone in place to make it work. But in terms of like the mom and pop style people that were interested, like we had a solid business so they could just take it as is, which was really what I wanted because I wanted like the employees and the contractors to go with the business and to be taken care of. That definitely was important to me because those people became like my family. And then, you know, the others where there was like a good fit as well were the ones that had very similar business models. They knew how we acquired our customers. They knew how we set up our subscriptions. They knew exactly what we were selling because they sold content writing as well. And it would have just been a way for them to acquire more customers because it is, I mean, it's, it's difficult to acquire customers. The most attractive things for the buyers were that one, we had a, a stable business that they could just plug and play, just take it over. And then the other people could have worked it into something, something larger. For me, you know, just bootstrapper broke to the core mindset, Tommy, it's always difficult to put myself in the position of someone who wants to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on a business that I completely understand. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still have this poor mindset where I would look at content pros and say, oh, maybe I'll just do it myself. Do you relate to that at all? Like, who are these people that want to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a service business? I think I can relate to that as well, for sure. Well, I, I can definitely relate to that because I can put myself in a situation where I'm like able to scratch my own itch because I know how to do it. At the same time, at least from the perspective of the content rollup that was trying to buy us, for example, they get all of their customers through like a variety of, of different places. And they, they understand how difficult it is to acquire the types of customers that we had. I guess it really depends on where you're at, but I can relate to, to your idea there. It's also like, you know, if you're in one sandbox, sometimes it's hard to relate or empathize with people that are in a different one. One of the things I realized by going through the sale process is that there's a whole other world out there of people that do have hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars in their bank account, and they're just looking for a nice business to own. Yeah. There's something to that as well, though, that I realized. I mean, I'm getting new ventures off, off the ground and I'm hustling again. And that, the part of that feels really cool. But I lost, you know, I lost my main cash flow. So if you're buying assets that just immediately produce cash month over month, then it's pretty cool. And if you do a good job figuring out the right ones to buy, then, then I can definitely see how it's easily justified with, with whatever you're spending. Do you remember what date the money hit your bank account or month? April 10th. Uh, <laughs> April 10th of 2019. <laughs> How'd it feel to look at your bank account? That was pretty cool, man. Uh, it was like a big wire. And to see all of that go in at once was, it was sort of surreal but it felt well-deserved. I mean, it happened really fast too, but like every single day from the time that I decided that I wanted to, to sell the business, like I was thinking, I was thinking about the exact amount before I even knew what we were listed at. 
or like what we were going to be able to sell the company for. I was like thinking about how much I wanted and how much it was going to be worth it for me. And like I got almost that exact same amount, man. So it was like a little eerie as well. Did the new money or going through the process, did you have any misgivings about it the rest of the year or anxieties related to it? Yeah, like I had anxieties related to like messing up with that money, (laughs) which I did to a degree with like a couple stupid things that I, (laughs) that I, that looking back over the course of the next 12 months, I, I learned even more about. But there were certain anxieties about like, you know, that money going away, which I think maybe came from some psychological thing associated with like me never having experienced anything like that before. But also really being motivated to take my next step in life and get something else going so that my money didn't go away and that I could put it to good use. I think my main anxieties came from like using my money appropriately and just being stressed about making the wrong decisions. There's not a single entrepreneur who's never at least for a moment been paranoid or anxious about their business fucking up and going away and their cash flow going away. Well, if you feel that kind of anxiety about a business that's established, just wait until you have a stack of money just sitting there and no source of cash flow. That's anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and if you want to really get the pure embodiment of that anxiety, talk with a retiree that doesn't have a social security or any kind of social safety net. You'll get a real sense for what just having money sitting there dwindling every month can do to a person's uh, emotions. Unless you for sure have enough money to live your ideal lifestyle for the rest of your life, but even then, maybe you're looking at this stack and you're like, okay, cool. Like, I've never, I've never had the opportunity to look at this stack of cash and be like, wow, I could live for like six years or seven years off of this, like not doing anything and like living exactly how I'm living now. Probably even buy some more shit. But that's, (laughs) that's super stressful because you know, it'll end at, at some point and you also like understand that there's an opportunity for you to make, make some mistakes. So I, I understand that. You mentioned you made some mistakes. What was the nature of them or what did you do? So I, <laughs> I tried to make a couple deals with some similar business owners to like take equity stakes and like be a part of their businesses at the end of the day, like no money actually changed hands for those, but those were like some failures that costed like significant drains of my time, which, you know, ultimately is my money uh, where I could have been spending time elsewhere. So that was like one thing that set me back a little net negative. And then there was just another, like another business opportunity that I had that I invested like 20 or 30K in and it just ended up being I won't explain like the full nature of it but I was so it was an opportunity that I saw that I could like bring my like family into like my mom and my sister to like help them out and kind of like have them run it and it just ended up being way more difficult to get off the ground than I had originally anticipated but I learned a lot about the time and energy exchange for like the money invested into into an opportunity right so like if you invest if you invest your time and your expertise into something, you should be awarded equity and potentially money coming back to you in exchange for your time. But if you invest money up front into something, it should be a relatively maybe passive role 
So it came down to me not getting that equation right, if that makes sense. It does. And one of the things I can relate to with that is money has a lot of weird properties, you know, because this is sort of like vessel of value that goes around and behaves in weird ways everywhere. Like sometimes it's a religion, sometimes it's a savior, sometimes it's food. It's also great insulation and specifically from problems. (laughs) You can like put money in between you and problems or even between you and realities. I've seen it happen a lot when entrepreneurs get flush with cash. Strangely enough, they sort of undervalue the entrepreneurial spirit and sort of assume that what they did before is pretty easily replicable when they might forget that, oh yeah, I failed like 66 times and succeeded twice, but I just kind of forgot about the 66 times because I'm a mad person and because I don't, I don't care like normal people do and I just keep plowing through. But you know, now that you got money, it's like, we'll just find any old person, lend them this money and expertise and they should be able to duplicate things. And you know, I, I've met a lot of people that lost a lot of money that way. Yeah, I think that's a really good point is even what I'm finding now with some of the stuff that I'm working on is just like starting from, I'm remembering how hard it is to build a business <laughs> and like there's no way around the difficulty and the discipline associated with what it takes to be successful or make anything successful. You have to take it seriously and you have to like make a real go of it. And that's cool in a way and it's sort of refreshing because it's just nice to be back on the ground again. But at the same time, you start making decisions in a way that you didn't before. So I can totally relate to that and see how that just puts you on a track for potential disaster. How did you get back on the horse? What are you up to? Yeah, so I experimented with like a couple different things, obviously, throughout the last year. I also traveled a bunch too. So there was like a lot of personal stuff that I did last year that I'm grateful for and things I spent money on in terms of experiences that were tremendous burning man included but (laughs) you know one of the things that happens when you sell a business within a particular niche is people start approaching you for assistance or expertise relatively recently i shut off the idea flow and any other opportunities and i started doing coaching and consulting so i have a couple consulting clients uh, that have various types of service-based businesses that uh, really engage with. And then I have a group coaching program that teaches people how to kind of get from that stage where you're kind of like already a, a project-based freelancer or have a small digital marketing agency to turning it into something that's scalable with recurring income that's ultimately a sellable asset. So those are those are my two main focuses right now. Give it a shout. What's the URL? You can actually just go to my Instagram Tommy underscore joiner. And then you can be directed to the free Facebook group that we have set up where you can find all the information that you want about the programs that we have available. Not only is that cool, you're hitting while the iron's hot, you know, like you just did this thing a few years ago, you're still bleeding with it. But uh, I think for like the entrepreneurial spirit, it's just wonderful to get a little cash flow going while you kind of figure out, you know, because I feel like consulting is a wonderful way to fund your lifestyle and figure out what your next move is going to be, you know, cause you get to learn a lot while you're getting paid. Yeah. And I think like the thing that I was concerned about was that I was going to start coaching and consulting and that I was going to be, you know, removed from like what's actually happening in the business world that I just left. But it's sort of the opposite is true. It's like, it's a way for me to stay connected 
to everything that's relevant and transpiring within these types of businesses because I'm intimately involved in them still. We'll see. I'll probably launch another service at some point. Tommy, congrats on a wonderful 2019. Thanks for sharing with us. And I hope you'll come back in 12 months time to let us know how it's going. It was a pleasure, Dan. Thanks for having me back on. Big ups to Tommy and his absolute no BS way of sharing. When I first met Tommy on the tarmac, we were both boarding the same plane. I asked him a little bit about what he was doing, and immediately I saw that this was a guy who wasn't putting on airs or putting on a show. He was willing to just dig down. He knew the details. He knew the numbers, and he wasn't hiding anything. He was willing to share that with me from day one, and I appreciate him coming by the show to do that for all of us. We're going to post the show notes, the links to everything mentioned in today's episode over at tropicalmba.com slash tommyjoiner2. So check out the comments section. You're able to go there and leave us a voicemail, send us an email. Your emails were the genesis of today's episode. Just some quick takeaways. Obviously, entrepreneurship can be messy, but it's cool. Like in the face of uncertainty, Tommy still had the bravery to lay out a vision and to execute on it. But also, so many of us struggle with services businesses. And we pointed to Tommy's original episode all throughout last year as an example of how you can leverage the excitement and the fast-moving pace and the potential of a services business model, but stay out of the traditional troubles of them, which is essentially getting paid for your time, continuing to scale up into higher dollar clients that demand more of your expertise and time, and it becomes essentially a situation of golden handcuffs. Well, it's come true just 12 months later. Tommy's dedication to focus on the productize part of productize service not only allowed him to run a successful business, but allowed him to exit it. So do keep that in mind if you are running a services business model. Let's lean more into the products and the productized in 2020. That is it for this week. We got a bunch coming up. Bossman and I have an exciting spring and summer planned for the show. Weigh in with your thoughts on the comments section, in the emails, and the voicemails. You can find all that over at tropicalmba.com slash tommyjoiner2. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.